Happy 11th anniversary, church. It's uh, so great for Elaine and myself to be here today for this uh, glorious celebration to the praise of our Savior, Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, 2018 has been a time of a lot of travel for Elena and myself. We started off the year in Manila for the first two weeks trying to rebuild the foundation of the church there. Then the Holy Spirit took us to Stockholm where we had to issue church discipline against the former leader of that church, but praise God, not one single disciple fell away. The Holy Spirit then took me to Orlando to preach, but of course, I had to get my mom to church. Then we went to Sao Paulo, Brazil. We went there for the World Sector Leader meeting as well as the South American Missions Conference because I wanted the World Sector Leaders to see the model campus ministry for the movement. This church has 75 sold out disciples. 35 of them go to the number one university in all of Central and South America, the University of Sao Paulo. And what's amazing now is many of them have started to graduate, they're marrying each other, and now they're becoming region leaders and church leaders there in Brazil. <laughs> Following Sao Paulo, we were in Mexico City for the church that has the model teen ministry for the movement. And that Latin American Missions Conference was incredible. I know many of you had a chance to be a part of that. Then the Holy Spirit whisked us away to be with the Dimitris up in San Francisco. Uh, I have to say that Elena might have given her very best speech there for the Women's Day. And I had the privilege to address both the San Francisco and Sacramento churches on Sunday. And then one of the great highlights for me this year, we were able to go to Hilo, Hawaii, where I was able to study the Bible with our fallen brother, Kyle Bartholomew. And on Easter Sunday, he was restored to the Lord. Following that, we went back to Manila for the Pac Rim Missions Conference, and I was able to share that Kyle was restored, and there was so much joy. Following that, we went to Hong Kong, China. It was just planted last year, and now the Holy Spirit is really working in a powerful way. However, when we got there, uh, Chi Leong and Alicia asked if Elaine and I could study with this young woman named Ria Lee, and she's an actress. She's a singer, she's a model of some note, and says, we just, we just haven't been able to break down the barriers because she was involved in sorcery and the occult. So we just got our Bibles out, and we studied for many hours, and that Sunday, Rhea was baptized into Christ. <laughs> then the Holy Spirit took me to Chennai, India for the South Asia Missions Conference, and it was, it was incredible. About 350 people gathered. But a highlight for me had to be the sending out of the New Delhi mission team. Now, you got to understand, it was led by the old leader, Rajan Devs Rajan. So you got some seasoned leadership right here. There were 38 disciples on the team. And amazingly, right after the conference was done, about five days later, the whole team gets on a train, rides 28 hours, arrives on Saturday, the 28th of April, and with one day just evangelizing, they and the remnant group have 205 at church the next day. What's the Lord done? Well, in literally 29 days, God has given them 42 additions. 
10 baptisms, 14 restorations, 18 place memberships from the Remnant Group, we now have 79 sold out disciples in New Delhi, India. And next week is their inaugural service. <laughs> After this, I went to Paris for a few days just to be with Anthony and Cassidy. I, I love them a lot. But we are working on getting our church restored uh, and registered. And praise God, we now have a registered church in France. <laughs> then we went to Dallas. We were able to spend some great time with Tyler and Shay. And of course, I got to hear all about even more our uh, new sister Debbie, Shay's mom, being baptized into Christ. <laughs> and then it was on to Moscow for the Eurasian Missions Conference. Now, Moscow was special. I mean, Victor Gonzalez got to celebrate his 60th birthday there in Moscow. And it's always great to be with Oleg and Aliona. But perhaps there's no other place, at least for me, that I feel a sense of the kingdom like Moscow. I mean, when I was young, the political tensions were strong between Russia and America. And now they've heated up again. And so when you walk in, you, you clearly understand that you're not just an American Christian with Russian Christians around you with a few other Ukrainian Christians. But we're all unified as global disciples of Jesus Christ in one family with a vision and a dream to change the nations in this generation. A special highlight, though, had to be uh, our newest dating couple over there. And that's uh, Oleg and Eliana's oldest daughter, Sofia, who is baptized here in LA, and Luca DeBio, who is from Sao Paulo, Brazil. Now, Luca carries an Italian passport, and Sofia's already been studying out Italian, and so their dream is to lead the Rome, Italy mission team. Of course, so great to be back here in Los Angeles. Our new regional home is the AMS, and uh, so proud of Adam and Lauren, the whole gang there. And also the, the Reach Film Festival was a great success. But I just have to say, in coming back, I am so proud of the LA Church blowing out your missions contribution of over a million dollars. I'm so proud of my son in the faith and daughter in the faith um, that there's nobody that raises money like the Kernans. Why? Because they believe in world evangelism. And I hope and pray that you appreciate your, your regional leaders that have spurred you on. I hope you appreciate your shepherds, particularly your congregational shepherds, the, the Bordieres and the Antelons. These are incredible people. And I hope you're anticipating an amazing best ever global leadership conference come this August. Amen. And for the LA Church, this is a meeting of the body. Everybody's going to be there, and we're going to host disciples from all around the world. And uh, what's interesting, Tim had mentioned in his presentation that uh, he wished that you could go to some of these missions conferences. Well, next year, we're not having a global leadership conference, so in fact, you can save your money that you ordinarily spend here, and you can go to one of the geographic missions conferences and support your brothers and sisters abroad. Now, as we all know, this is the year of grace. And uh, 
being in the AMS, I, I, I share a love of music with uh, Lauren and Adam, except we just don't share a love of the same bands. My favorites have to be Beatles, Beach Boy, and U2. And on one of their most famous albums of U2, All That You Can't Leave Behind, their most famous song is Beautiful Day, the first one. But actually, my favorite is the last one, which is simply entitled Grace. Let me share with you some of the words. Grace, she takes the blame. She covers the shame, removes the stain. It could be her name. Grace, it's a name for a girl. It's also a thought that changed the world. What once was hurt, what once was friction, what left a mark no longer stings because grace makes beauty out of ugly things. Grace finds beauty in everything. Grace finds goodness in everything. The title of the message this morning is God's Amazing Grace. Let's go to the book of Hosea. Perhaps no other book foreshadows the grace in which we stand more than the book of Hosea. We find that Hosea most likely writes this book in about 740 BC. We know from Hosea 1.1 that it was a very dark time in Israel and that he preached to both the northern kingdom Israel and to the southern kingdom Judah. And of course, if you know your Bibles and your history, you understand that a relatively short time later in 722 BC, Israel, the northern kingdom, is taken into captivity by the Assyrians. And so let's read together chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So I married Gomer, daughter of the blame, and she conceived and bore him a son. One of the toughest commands God's ever given one of his prophets. He says, I want you to go out there, choose a girl, make her your wife, knowing that someday she is going to commit adultery. And even more than that, she's going to have children from adulterous affairs. And so the Bible just simply notes that this woman was named Gomer. And says she conceived and bore him a son. In the next few verses, we find that in fact, they had three children. The first was Jezreel. And you got to understand, the whole book is the foreshadowing of God to Israel. And so Jezreel was named Jezreel because it was the prophecy of the end of the northern kingdom. And that would take place at the battle of the valley of Jezreel in 722 BC. The next was a daughter, Lorumah, which means not loved. And God simply says, name your daughter that because I do not love Israel anymore but I still love Judah. And the last one, Loami, means not my people. And of course, 
implied in this is the fact that this child was not Hosea's son. This was indeed a child born from an adulterous affair. Well, when you read on in the book of Hosea, you see how God parallels the adultery of Gomer with the adultery of Israel. And then in the latter part of chapter 2, God parallels himself to Hosea. But he says, Israel, I will marry you once again. And then he says, I'll even show my love even to not my people. Now let's go to chapter 3. Verse 1. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turned to other gods and loved the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and lit's like a barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. Well, we find right here that Gomer has fallen so far that she's now become a slave. And God once more gives a very difficult command to Hosea. He says, Hosea, now I want you to go back and take back Gomer again as your wife. And can you, can you kind of imagine the scene? He's walking probably very slowly into the city center. And there in the city center, he, he sees the slave market. And then he barely recognizes his, his wife, Gomer. Her hair's unkempt. She's very scantily clad. She's dirty. And he walks on up. And then she sees him. Could you imagine the feeling inside of her heart, the trembling that must have gone on, the, the embarrassment, the shame? And then she watches him give money, 15 shekels of silver, a homer and a list of a barley. And she comes to understand, oh my gosh, he's paying for me. He's buying me back. And he goes to her, and I'm sure she couldn't even look him in the eye. But he says, I want to be your husband again. All that I ask is you're with no other man, but that you love only me. Can you imagine when she finally just lifted up her chin, and he hugged her, and he kissed her, and she felt that awesome love that only can be felt within a godly marriage. You know, the small price of about 15 shekels of silver is about $200. And that was to signify that Gomer's life had become of little value. The barley, well, that's the test of jealousy that the husband must give to the priest in Numbers chapter 5. And so this was the price that had to be paid. But let's look right now at the prophecy that comes out of this in verses 4 and 5. 
For the Israelites will live many days without a king or a prince, without sacrifice or sacred stone, without ephod or idol. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. Wow. So we understand now that something's going to happen, but there's going to be many days that Israel will not have a king. That the Israelites someday will return to seek the Lord. That David will be their king, but David's already dead. But all this is going to happen in the last days. Now, let's go forward, not just many days, but many years, about 800 years to the book of Acts in Acts chapter 2. And let's see the fulfillment of this prophecy. You remember, Jesus ascends into heaven. The 12 go back to the 120. And when the day of Pentecost comes, fire comes into the room and explodes. And fire rests on the top of each head of the 120. And all of them begin to speak in different languages. They flow out in the street. A great crowd forms and people are very cynical. They said, oh, are these men drunk? And of course, Peter gives the best answer ever. He says, no, nope, they're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. Let's pick it up now in verse 16, chapter 2. Peter says, no, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even all my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And the church said, Amen. What? What an amazing understanding of the prophecy. Right here, Peter says, What you see happening, all these people speaking different languages, this was foretold. As a matter of fact, the prophecy of Joel is taking place, and once more that phrase is used, in the last days. Now, it's not the last days of mankind, but it is the last days of the physical nation of Israel. Because you see, the dating of this is probably 29 AD. And just a few decades later, in 70 AD, the future emperor Titus will come against Jerusalem, will tear it down, and will slaughter one million of its inhabitants and take 100,000 into slavery. At that point, all sacrifices in the temple start, stop, and in essence, the old fiscal kingdom of Israel is gone. So if the old is gone, then the new can come. Are you with me right here? And so that's exactly what happens. We find that Peter preaches. He concludes his speech in verse 36. He says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you've crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what do we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 41. Those who accept this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Can, can you imagine? Peter gets up there. He says, all of you are responsible for the death of Christ. Of course, we understand that because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Amen? Amen. And they go, well, we, we believe. Now what do we do? He says, you've got to repent. You've got to turn away from the darkness, and you've got to start walking as a disciple 
and then you get water baptized to have your sins forgiven and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that day, 3,000 people were baptized. You know, we get, we get very excited when we have one baptism. Can you imagine 3,000 people baptized in one day? This is the beginning of spiritual Israel, the church. Now, very interestingly, at this point, only Jews became Christians because that's all the people that were there in Jerusalem for the Pentecost. But let's go seven years forward to Acts chapter 11. Verse 19. Now those who have been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Gentiles also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. This is, this is incredible. Because now the disciples have gotten so excited about the gospel, they're not just preaching to the Jews, now they're preaching to the Gentiles, amen? Now that's pretty good news for all of us because most of us in the crowd today are Gentiles, right? So here's what we come to understand. Hosea is reunited with Gomer. I mean, the sins she committed were pretty ugly. But if you can imagine that scene of husband being reunited with wife, the tears that came, then you understand that grace makes beauty out of ugly things. We understand Hosea represents God who forgives anything and everything. Gomer in many ways represents us. She's the unfaithful wife who chooses adulteries. And yet, we find that God comes to get her. But because most of us are Gentiles, the parallel isn't really Gomer. The parable is the second son, the third child, Loami, which means not my people. The Jews were God's people, but the Gentiles were not God's people. But now we understand that God has come to get not only the Jews, but he's come to get Loami. He's come to get not my people. He's come to get the Gentiles. He's come to get all of us. Amen. And so now the new Israel is united under one King David, who is Jesus. Amen. And now we find the new spiritual Israel has been given birth. I have two points. The first is grace motivates. The second is grace does not negotiate. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I think that you would agree with me, if you've read your Bible very much, that the church at Corinth was about as messed up as any church there was. I mean, it seems like every chapter, there's another dereliction that Paul's raising. 
And he gets to chapter 15. That's a lot of dereliction. What, what is Paul going to, to say to them to overcome all of these challenges? Well, let's, let's see. Let's read together, beginning in verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom were still living, though some had fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. Well, we understand that Paul was one abnormally born because he saw Jesus after Jesus had ascended, but Paul was on his way to Damascus to put more disciples in prison. Amen? Verse 9. For I'm the least of the apostles, I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. What, what an incredible boast. He said, I worked harder than all of them. Who was all of them? Well, let's see. Other 11 faithful apostles... The 70 apostles that Jesus commissioned, all the other disciples, he said, I worked hard on them. Why? Well, it wasn't really me, but it was the grace of God motivating me. So what does Paul say to motivate the Corinthian church to change all these incredible derelictions? He simply preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ was sent from God. He died for their sins. He was resurrected. And now he is with God's church. If you get nothing more out of the lesson, write this down. Our zeal, our passion, our hard work for souls is directly proportional to how much we appreciate God's amazing grace. That's what we need to understand here, church. You know, as I mentioned, Elaine and I were able to go to Dallas for a few days. Of course, going to Dallas, yes, we enjoy preaching at the church there, but I've got to go see my two little granddaughters there. Scarlett's five and Savannah's two. And it's fun going there because now they can talk and run and play. And, and it's always great because we come every three or four months and I get to see them growing. And uh, since their father's finished in about 6'4", six, 6'5", six, these are big girls. <laughs> and what's also very interesting is all the rest of my family is either brown hair or black hair. This used to be brown. <laughs> They're two little blondies. <laughs> well, could you imagine if Elaine and I come to visit and Scarlett and Savannah haven't grown? We leave, we come back a few months later, and Scarlett and Savannah still haven't grown. Would you be concerned? I'd be very concerned. You know, I was also very concerned when I heard that our dear sister, Yelena Asentina, fell into a diabetic coma. I believe that she was in a coma for seven days. I was told that all of her organs shut down except her brain 
and heart. As a matter of fact, so much so that she had to have a respirator. She could not breathe on her own. And so the doctors certainly went to work to try to restore the whole body, but they knew that they had to go after organ after organ in order to revive Yelena. And praise God, our prayers were answered, the doctors worked too, and Yelena's with us today. Amen, guys? Well, we understand that the church is often compared to the human body. We are the body of Christ. And very interestingly, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul shares with the struggling disciples at Corinth that because they've not got their eyes on Jesus, they've not taken communion in a right way, that many of them are weak, sick, and have fallen asleep. So we understand that to be weak means you just don't have strength to go on. To be falling asleep means you're just completely dead. But sick is something we don't often mention. The church can be spiritually sick. We understand Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And very interestingly, I saw perhaps the sickest church I've ever seen when I went back to Manila in January. What I had to do right after GLC is I had to take out the church leaders, Kyle and Joan Bartholomew, and not only take them out of leadership, but take them out of the ministry because of adultery. And it was heartbreaking for the church. And though many leaders tried to get in there and try to encourage it, I, I couldn't get the leaders that I wanted there until January. And that was Richie and Elizabeth McDonald. And so when we all finally landed, it was, it was awesome to be with them. But we came to a church where 75 people had fallen away in the last four months. The church had stopped growing. There were no baptisms. There were really no studies that were happening. It was a very sick church. Well, the McDonald's, Lena and myself, got together and we started preaching. The whole theme of course, for the years, the year of grace, and the theme for our workshop was strong in the grace. And we had two weekends of preaching and teaching. The last time I spoke there in January was on a Saturday night. And I used this text of 1 Corinthians 15 as, as the challenge to them, that they needed to repent, go back to their first love, and their zeal for working for souls is going to be directly proportional to how much they appreciate the grace of God. And I set two goals in front of them. They were having a bring your neighbor day in two weeks. I said, okay, I realize you've got less disciples than you used to have. You're down to 187. But I believe that you can have a record attendance for bring your neighbor day in two weeks on January 28th. Secondly, I believe sometime later this year, you can even get to daily baptisms. Well, Richie and I talked that night, and Richie and I both agreed, the church still isn't radicalized. They, they, they want to do these things, but there's not a passion. And Richie goes, you know, Kip, did you ever hear the story about my father in the faith, Luke Speckman, when he went to New York 
He got there and he found that the church there was very sick. It wasn't growing. There was little zeal. And so he decided that he would go after each one of the Bible talks, believing, in a way of speaking, that the Bible talk is the key unit in each one of our churches, in each body of Christ. If you will, the Bible talks are like organs that make the body alive. And so Luke started off with his Bible talk. Preached the first Sunday, got with the Bible talk Monday night. And he went, guys, I know you haven't had any baptisms for months. He says, I've got the solution. Everybody kind of perks up and they go, what's that? We are going to pray and fast. Everybody go, amen, amen. One of the brothers goes, now, Luke, is this going to be the kind of a fast where we go like from 8 in the morning till 5 in the afternoon? Oh, no, 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 not that, no, no, no. One of the sisters goes, well, is this going to be the fast like where we, we just don't have chocolate and, until we have a baptism? Luke goes, no, 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 no. This is going to be a liquid fast by all of us until we have a baptism. They perked up and they go, okay, okay. And you can feel the zeal of the Lord inside of them. And he says, okay, now let's take out a piece of paper and let's write down some names we can get to Bible talk this week. Everybody's writing down a lot of names. Well, they did have one good study. And the woman was supposed to study on Wednesday and all were hopeful that she'd be baptized soon. Well, the woman canceled on Wednesday. <laughs> they did study with her on Friday and Saturday. And that Sunday, she was baptized and they were able to eat. Amen. You see, fasting is telling God how bad you want something. So Richard says, Chip, how about this idea? Tomorrow, Sunday, the 14th, I'll preach on fasting and prayer. And I'm going to challenge the church to fast until they get two solid commitments to bring your neighbor day in two weeks. I said, that's, that's great. So Richie preached it. I'm sure most people were eating that night. The next week, on the 21st, he preached, okay, church, now you got two. Now, I want to challenge you to fast again, a water fast, until you get three more solid commitments for Bring Your Neighbor Day next week. Now, in the midst of this, I had a person contact me and say, how can someone command people to fast? And I said, well, you just have to look at the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus in Matthew 6, 2 says, when you give, and we all believe in commanding people to give to the Lord. Amen, right? Yeah. Matthew 6, 5 says, when you pray, and we all believe in praying. Amen? Yeah. And in Matthew 6, 16, it says, when you fast. And we need to give, we need to pray, and we need to fast. Are you with me right here? Well, on January 28, two weeks later, the Lord blessed the 187 disciples with a record attendance of 424 people. You know, they had their first baptism January 14th, that last Sunday we were there. And yet, what's happened these past four months? Well, now that they are praying and fasting, the Lord has added 76 to the number, 
49 baptisms, 16 restoration, 11 place memberships, mostly from the ICOC. They now number 235 sold out disciples in Manila. And the thing that was so healing was I was able to come back in April and say, your brother Kyle Bartholomew has been restored to the Lord. And it makes for such a happy ending because grace makes beauty out of ugly things. Now, I'm told by Tim that you guys are having a Bring Your Neighbor Day in two weeks. That seems to parallel a little bit of that story, don't you think? And it's my, I, I have a deep conviction that if a church goes to their knees and begins to fast, you can have a record attendance any time you want in two weeks. Now, believe it or not, your record attendance was way back in 2016, January, 1,679. I'm also very concerned about the lack of growth. You start off the year with 955 disciples. And yeah, you've had a lot of people go to the mission field and you're to be commended for that. But as of last Sunday, you had 963. Remember, we were all concerned about my little granddaughters that wouldn't grow? It's time to be concerned. Your baptisms for the last four weeks are 8842. And the real issue right here, I, I don't think, is the followaways. You're just not baptizing enough people. Your Bible talks, the organs of the body of Christ in Los Angeles, they're not radicalized. I think some of you are excited because you have about daily baptisms right now. But you need to understand, when the church here was four and five hundred, we had daily baptisms. And you're twice that size. So what's that say? You should be having a couple baptisms every day. Or the easy way to look at it is every region should be having a baptism every week. Are you with me right here? But this is... It would be a grave mistake to simply think this is on your region leader and because you give contributions to support his salary, he's doing your Christianity for you. No, no. It's time for us to radicalize the organs of the body of Christ here in Los Angeles. It is time for us to radicalize our Bible talks so that all of them are fruitful. Are you with me here, church? I believe this, and I set this as a goal, not just in front of Tim and Leanne, but the whole church. I believe you can be a thousand sold out disciples here in Los Angeles by the Global Leadership Conference. Do you believe that, church? <laughs> Point two. Come on, bro. Grace does not negotiate. Go to Romans chapter two. Romans. Beginning of verse 12 is perhaps one of the least understood passages of Scripture by disciples. And I want us to look at it because it's, 
it's just so important that we understand this as we, as we have a heart for missions around the world. Paul says, all who sin apart from law will also perish apart from law, and all who sin under law will be judged by the law. For it's not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it's those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles, who do not have the law, do by the nature of things required by law, they are law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. Since they show that the requirements of law are written on their hearts, their conscience is also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. We understand that God is completely just. He is completely loving. And so some have sadly rationalized that if people don't have the Bible, then God will just give them a pass to heaven. But let's understand what this passage says. It says that all mankind are going to be judged. Those that have the law, those that have the Bible, are going to be judged by the law. They're going to be judged by the Bible. Do you know any man except for Jesus that's lived up to God's word completely? No, that's why it says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All need Jesus Christ. Secondly, it says, if people don't have the law, if people don't have the Bible, they're not going to be judged by the law and the Bible. They're going to be judged by their consciences. But do you know any human being, except for Jesus, that's ever totally lived up to their consciences? No! That's what it says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We need to understand, there's only one way to be saved. We looked at it next too. You have to have faith, you have to repent, become a disciple, and then be water baptized to get your sins forgiven and to get the Holy Spirit. You are not saved if you are baptized as an infant. You are not saved if you say the sinner's prayer. You are not saved if you live a good moral life. We need to get a conviction that grace doesn't negotiate it. All that grace is, is a free gift given to us when we don't deserve it because God loves us. Turn to Revelation chapter 20. You know, sometimes people say, well, why are we in such a rush? Why do we have such large multiples for our missus contribution? It's because the whole world is lost. And they're not going to be saved until we get there. That's why. That's why we're in such a rush to get there. They're lost. That's why we have such large mission contribution. Why? So we can send preachers and women's ministry leaders and mission teams to whole nations that do not have a chance to know. Well, what's the ultimate implication? Well, let's read about it in Revelation chapter 20, verse 15. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Wow. If your name is not in the book of life, you're going to hell. Keep reading. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was longer in the sea. I saw the holy city of the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a sound of a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Wow. He says, hey, if your name's not written in the book of life, you're going to hell. But if your name is in the book of life, you're going to heaven to be with God. No more death, no more crying, no more pain. Does that sound awesome or not? I think most of you are aware that last November 18th, my father died. And that was a very difficult time for me because my father never became a baptized disciple. It got hard again a few days ago on May 18th, which would have been his 90th birthday. And I really had to, to fight against that acedia that can come into you, hope deferred. I always wanted my dad to become a disciple. He was such a noble man. He did so much good for so many. And for me, I just have to keep remembering 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 19. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. That's how we overcome Assyria. And as sad as that was, when I got back from Moscow, what a different feeling I had when I heard that our sister, Sharon Wong, had gone to glory. Now Sharon and her husband, Dennis, had only been baptized for three weeks. And she knew it was her time to go. She died on May 4th. Well, you know, what was pretty amazing, and there, Dennis and the girls are not with us today, they're in Las Vegas. What's pretty amazing is the largest giver by far for the mission's contribution was our baby Christian, Dennis Wong. He gave literally thousands of thousands of thousands of dollars more than the second one. Why? Because he appreciated the grace of God and that he would see Sharon one day again. Yes, it's sad in the sense of we lose companionship with Sharon and certainly sad with her husband or daughters, but you know, our sister fought the good fight. She finished the race and now she's got the crown. She's in heaven. But has there ever been a time in your Christian life when you asked yourself, is it worth it? That things just become so difficult, so hard. You ask yourself, is it worth it? Well, imagine for a moment that uh, you and I die at the same time in a car wreck. <laughs> You were driving. 
And they say that when you get up to heaven, you're going to meet the Apostle Peter there at the pearly gates. And we, we understand it's the Apostle Peter. And I could just imagine you saying to Peter and asking the question, now, you're Peter. I heard that you saw your wife crucified. Is that true? I, I heard you then were crucified upside down. Was it worth it? And Peter, stand up a little straighter. He'd smile. And he'd grab you by the hand. He says, I want you to meet someone. I want you to meet Stephen. And you go, are you the Stephen of Acts chapter 7? Are you the first Christian martyr? Like you were stoned? Yeah. And you ask, but was it worth it? He smiles, grabs your hand, takes you over to another part of heaven, and he says, this is the Apostle James. Are you the Acts 12 one? The guy that was beheaded? Yes. Was it worth it? He smiles, grabs your hand, you go to another part of heaven, and he has you meet the Apostle Paul. Now, I know a lot of you got a lot of questions for Paul. But you might ask, Paul, those sleepless nights, those times you went hungry, the three shipwrecks, the imprisonment, I mean, being hated by Christians, and then beheaded? Was it worth it? He'd smile, grab you by hand, so I want you to meet somebody. This is Elena McKean. And you say, I read your book. That was awesome. Now, you were betrayed by some of your closest friends. And if I remember correctly, you were fired after 23 years in the full-time ministry. And you were married to that guy. Is it worth it? And Landon had that big smile. Grab it by the hand. And you go to another part of heaven. So I want you to meet Kyle Bartholomew. Kyle. I heard that you sold your house so that you could go train in L.A. in the early days. And then I heard when you were to Manila, you had 135 baptisms. But then I heard, I heard that you fell just like David. You came back, but by that time your wife had left you and you had to raise your children on your own. Was it worth it? Kyle's smile. Grab you by the hand. So I want you to come over here. I want you to meet Tim Kernan. That's Tim Kernan? He's got all that hair back. Well, you know, in heaven you get a new body. Amen, guys? Tim, I heard you moved over and over and over and over again from country to country to country. And that in India, you had to watch your wife suffer through dengue fever and almost die. Was it worth it? 
Tim would smile, pull back his hair. I want you to meet someone else over here. This is our dear sister, Therese Antalan. Therese, you were, you were in Elena's book, I think, and you were there when the Portland church crashed and went from 300 disciples down to 25. And then you helped Kip and Elena get things going. But during this whole time, while other people were working full time for the Lord, you and Tony had full time jobs five days a week, eight to 10 hours a day. You were raising two teenage girls. Was it worth it? Teresa, smile. Grab you by the hand. Say, I want you to meet this brother. This is Blaze Bumbo right here. Blaze! I heard you got baptized at 24 years old in Lagos, Nigeria. But that you started dating after two years with Patricia, but then she dropped you after three months. And you were essentially single for five long years in your 20s. And then I heard that in 2019, you went back to Abidjan in Africa at 53 years old and began to preach the gospel again. Is it worth it? And Blaze just straighten up. Give him that big grin. He says, I want you to meet someone. I want you to meet Jesus. And you say, Jesus. You went through all of the shame and the pain of the cross, the humiliation, literally being stripped on the cross of everything and dying when few mourned. Was it worth it? And Jesus, like all the others, he would smile, shake his head, and he says, look, look at the heavens. Right over there, you see it, you see it? That's the Paulo cloud, and there's Raul and Linda, and." Thousands of Brazilians. Oh my gosh, there's an even bigger cloud. It's the Manila cloud with Richie and Elizabeth and Kyle's there. Oh my gosh. There's the Abidjan cloud. There's Blaze and Patricia and thousands there from Africa. There's the, the oh my, I just can't believe it. That's the LA cloud. They're the Curtains, Uzlans, Bordieres, and Sheridan Dennis made it. Amen. Oh, there's the Columbus cloud called the Mandy and thousands from Ohio. Oh my gosh, that's, there's the Albuquerque cloud and Everardo and Jen and thousands from New Mexico. And there's the Rome, Italy cloud, and Luca and Sophia. At this point, 
I lean over, I said, you know something? I'm looking for about one more cloud. I'm looking for the cloud, there it is. The cloud with Elena, my children, their spouses, all my grandchildren, and my mom. In this earth, we have ugly trials, but we need to understand that grace makes beauty out of ugly things. Grace makes beauty out of everything. Thank you and God bless.